Welcome to Rock Facts, an over-the-garden-wall podcast right here on the Incomparable Network. My name is Brian Hamilton, and I'm joined by Allison Truge. How's it going? That frog's giving me the runaround, Brian. Ooh, oh no, have you have you found it yet? Oh, I wasn't expecting that part of the question. I was expecting you to be like, oh, that's cute. That's also a reference to the show that we're talking about. I mean, it is, but it's also very cute, and I wanted to know if your frog was showing up. I will say that I agreed to be on this podcast because I thought it was going to be a podcast where we talk about facts about Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Nope, uh, this is not those rock facts. This is over the garden wall rock facts. Over the garden wall. I'll start. Dwayne the Rock Johnson went to my high school. Okay, that's a good rock fact. Uh, Over the Garden Wall was a 2014 miniseries by Patrick McHale, and that's what we're going to be watching episode by episode all through October. Uh, The episodes are maybe 10 minutes long, and there's only 10 of them, and I can highly recommend uh, watching all of them straight through in one sitting. Uh, What do you say to that, Allison Truge? Over the Garden Wall is, like, probably one of my favorite pieces of media maybe I've ever seen. I have... An over-the-garden-wall tattoo. Oh, that's right. I only have three tattoos. So I think that's probably a good indicator of, like, how I feel about it. I hate it. Because you got tattooed on your skin, of course. Right. So we're going to be going episode by episode all through the month of October, and we're going to be spoiling it. This should not be your first watch through of Over the Garden Wall uh, listening to us. So I recommend you go watch all of it and then come back and uh, listen with us all through October. And then we can share spooky secrets. Spooky secrets. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about, for our very first episode, the first episode of Over the Garden Wall, uh, the old grist mill, where we are treated to a series of beautiful vignettes of a whole bunch of different characters we don't know yet, ostensibly. But this show rewards rewatching so, so much because you get to see so many different things in this little opening uh, vignette of this frog singing uh, a beautiful, beautiful song. Every time I rewatch this series, which I've probably rewatched it probably upwards of like 10, 15, 20 times at this point, um, every time I catch something new, and there's so few pieces of media that I can really say that about. I rewatched earlier today in preparation for this and noticed something I hadn't noticed before. Ooh, what is it? There's a shot of a woman. Uh, looking at a bunch of like bones, not quite skeletons, but there's some skulls and a few yes. different femurs and bones and things. I realized, because we never see her face, so I thought it was just a spooky picture that they had come up with for the show. I realized that that was, oh, what's her name from episode six? Uh, Lorna. Lorna. I realized that was Lorna uh, organizing the bones of the childs that we have gobbled up, Lorna, that Tim Curry mentions later. When I watched this past time that I just rewatched it for this podcast, I also noticed that for the very first time. It's so subtle and you don't think about it until you realize, wait, who in the show would be looking at bones like that? <gasps> and it's so interesting because when you get to the sixth episode, finally, the first time we see Lorna, she's coming up from the basement saying, I've sorted the bones. And so you could think to yourself that that vignette is actually what Lorna's doing the entire time before we meet her. It's incredible. They thought through every single frame of this show, and I can't get over it. What else do we get? In this opening sequence, we have the Over the Garden Wall theme, uh, the motif of which is referenced all throughout the show. The It's not the Over the Garden Wall theme. Well, no, they, they say Over the Garden Wall in one of the later songs, but this is the moment where the, the riff of is introduced. True. I think that this one is called Into the Unknown, right? It may be. You know the soundtrack better than I do. I mean, I also... I'm going to talk 
very little about this throughout the recording of this podcast because I haven't gotten that far through it. But I've also been reading the comic, which is already, like, so incredible. But at the end of every issue of the comic, there's a piece of sheet music. That's incredible for things from the show. Yeah, they're all songs from the show. And so I I have internalized that even more recently as the... as like internalizing the soundtrack, reading the comic. I can't get enough of this. I, I, I have a note a little later, but I'll jump to it now. This is, at this point, I've seen the show maybe like you 10, 15 times. And this time watching it, I know the dialogue so well that I don't need to pay attention to every single word. So for like five minutes, the first five minutes of the show, I wasn't listening to anything anyone said. I just listen to the music and how it changes, like Peter and the Wolf style, as different things are happening. I noticed this time that uh, Oboe, or not Oboe, Clarinet, is playing as Wirt does his uh, first uh, sappy poetry reading yeah, <laughs> in the for very sure. beginning of the episode. It's so sweet. There's also a lot of bassoon under Wirt. Like, all of his, like, kind of stings are either bassoon stings or clarinet stings. I know this because I played both... I was both clarinet section leader and bassoon section leader of my high school marching band, <laughs> concert band, and orchestra. Something we say to each other all the time is, thanks for supporting my bassooning, because you actually did play bassoon. <laughs> but it couldn't be the title of the podcast, because no one would know what it's about. We are treated to this visually stunning and really kind of emotional and mature opening with a bunch of different vignettes and this deep voice talking about the unknown and all the uh, magical things within and this rather, again, mature music, this uh, really beautiful jazzy music. And the very first thing outside of that... It's not jazzy. <laughs> what, what What is it then? I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I guess it's sort of got like jazz elements, but it definitely doesn't constrain to the actual like rules of jazz music. I'm going to be that person this whole podcast. <laughs> 100%. What I mean by jazzy is that kind of sultry, mature music that you wouldn't really expect in a kid's show. And that's just one of the many things that you wouldn't expect from a kid's show to show up in an Over the Garden Wall episode. But uh, outside of all the really dark and creepy things that were treated to at the very beginning of the episode, the first thing we hear is Greg rattling off a list of names for his frog. And it's so incredibly sweet. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say is that because I have now introduced this show to probably like upwards of 10 of my friends, the thing I will say is that even though I think it's a brilliant open and I was automatically like very attracted to it, it's kind of a weird open for this show. And it's kind of a weird like way to tell people to pay attention to it. It doesn't call a lot of attention to itself. And especially all of those vignettes when you don't have the context for them later, they kind of just seem like tone setting, which I think is really important. But something that I've noticed a lot is that I'll have to like tap my friends because they're still looking at their phones like at the beginning of this show. I'm like, no, 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 it's just getting good. I would argue that later on that makes a little bit more sense because of the fact that this is the only episode that opens like this with anything outside of the standard chapter one, chapter two uh, opening still with the cello music playing over it. But in this case, this is something to be paid attention to, uh, especially, I think, uh, the moment of uh, their uncle who winds up owning the tea plantation later on in the uh, in the show looking at a ghost behind him 
and there's like a whoosh and his candle almost goes out and he looks behind him and there's a moment of like ghostliness to it. There's so much, you're right, tone setting here that also rewards rewatching for people that know who all of those characters are. It functions perfectly both. I agree that I think it's brilliant and having watched it like 20 times, I think it's brilliant. But the first time you're watching and you're not emotionally attached to any of those images it doesn't hit as hard and it definitely like kind of, you know, you're introducing like so many characters at once and it's introduced in a way that like, if you're first watching it for the first time, you're not thinking that those characters are going to come back. You're thinking they're just like, kind of like, uh, like waffle, like a little bit of tone setting, um, which is like something like, again, I wouldn't change it, but it is something that like, as I'm showing my friends this show, that is one part of this show where I'm like, ah, I kind of wish it started with a little bit more of a bang. But also, I will say that I think it works really effectively into lulling you into a false sense of security because it makes you think to yourself, okay, these boys have been on a journey in the woods for a while. And so you don't question as much when all of a sudden word is like, wait, where are we? What are we doing? (laughs) Because it just kind of seems like, okay, it's tone setting and now we're lost in the woods. Like, you know, it's just like every single children's story I've ever been told. But I feel like that kind of like soft open uh, lets you kind of, and also like, you know, you're seeing a frog play the piano. It lets you suspend your disbelief so that you're not questioning automatically, like, wait a second, why are they suddenly in this place? They don't know where they are. Exactly. And on rewatch, you notice, wait, the transition from their, you know, regular place to here goes about as smoothly as you could possibly expect it with word going, oh, wait, where are we? I also love the the dark tone of the opening in contrast to the silly uh, frog name listing, which is incredibly uh, effective for me in terms of, you know, I, I think a lot about how Adventure Time revolutionized uh, television as we know it and how it takes influences from internet culture and internet humor to be not quite random in the internet sense, but in a very silly juxtaposey uh sense and i think the way that it starts off with the bang with greg uh listing off names for his frog and the very worst name for this frog i think is i think it works very very well no i agree and also i think you know it it automatically like sets up the dynamic that like word is the straight man and like greg is going to be the one that's kind of silly Mm -hmm. there's a moment later where uh word is freaking out about meeting beatrice for the first time and uh, what what's going on here right now? And Greg chimes in with, well, you're slapping yourself and I'm telling you that you're slapping yourself. It adds, uh, Greg as a whole, as a character, adds so much lightness and brevity to the show that, you know, especially later when things get truly scary, Greg is still Greg. And I love it. Oh, there's no denying. Greg is one of the greatest characters. Like, without... Greg as a character and without him getting quite as silly as he gets this show would not be even half as good as it is I believe that wholeheartedly candy trail candy trail candy trail and it's it's like automatically something like I don't know I I've been thinking about this a lot like the kind of media especially you and I like to consume Brian uh whenever I tell people like the sort of things I like like when I'm like oh I really love uh the McElroy brothers and their podcast I love the adventure zone I love over the garden wall I love adventure time and I love Steven Universe people are kind of like oh so you like pure media (laughs) <laughs> like it's it's kind of a wholesome meme and so in that way like greg establishes himself so early on as a wholesome meme that it's something to attach yourself when the rest of what's happening in over the garden wall is not necessarily particularly interesting yet because that's kind of the whole 
when you learn more about what happens later, the idea that it starts in a fairy tale that we've all heard before of two children lost in the woods, it becomes more beautiful. But when you're watching it the first time, it's kind of like, okay, well, I've heard this story before. And I I think I've seen that in showing it to people, especially people who are not necessarily convinced that they should watch it. They're much more like, I, I can tell that they're not really paying attention to it yet. I've been trying to like pay attention to and nail down exactly when I notice they start paying attention more. I think it's candy camouflage (laughs) is when I really see my friends be like, oh, okay, this is something special. Exactly. And that realization that things that this is something special does come after a little bit of, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. This is just some characters doing different things. Uh, I know I was hooked immediately by the aesthetic and the tone when you first show this to me. But you're right. A lot of people are like, hey, this is fairly typical. Yeah, this scratches a lot of itches for me as far as like, it kind of has a little bit of like New Orleans, a little bit of gumbo yaya like happening, where it's like, it's, it's clearly not true gumbo yaya, because like, um, for those of you that don't know, it's like kind of one of the precursors to jazz. Um, it was kind of like a, it, it was the earliest of like New Orleans big bands, um, of like bands that had like a clarinet and a banjo and a sousaphone and like um, a trumpet and not really a saxophone yet because people really weren't playing saxophones yet. In fact, saxophones might not have been invented invented by the time that Gumbo Yaya was like a thing in America, but it kind of like mimics that style with the instrumentation. And so that like, namely, especially because I feel like I don't see a lot of media that uses that type of music and especially the illustration style that's very turn of the century and very like spooky and beautiful and then paired with this wholesome meme of a character it scratches a lot of itches for me so i was pretty immediately drawn into this show uh moving on uh greg and wert meet the woodsman uh voiced by christopher lloyd in a very weird role for him compared to like my touchstone for christopher lloyd is doc brown and thinking about how dark and gravelly his voice can get in this in this show i think it's such a stunning performance I don't think it's a weird role for him at all. I'm like pretty, I I don't know. I I feel like the characters have sort of like the same, not the same air around them, but the same kind of like standing of like older person that knows a lot more than you do. Exactly. And he really does give it his all as like a kind of small mentor for them in this moment. Uh, His function in the episode is to give them shelter a little bit later on. He brings them to his mill house. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not not the Simpsons character, his house by the mill, the old grist mill, and he builds them a fire and tells them about the beast and how to uh, avoid them. There's a moment I never really caught before as I was paying attention to like all the dialogue and how it builds across the episode and leads to the next thing. I noticed uh, his line, welcome to the unknown, boys. You're a lot more lost than you realize. Yep. And for me, re-watching this and realizing that these are two kids from like around the 90s that have just been walking or so they think, and now they're in this completely different place and different era. I wonder when they notice that everything is kind of shifted to like 19th century architecture and style of talking and anything like that. And I wonder what the giveaway was or when things like when they realized things were starting to become weird aside from, you know, a talking bird and a demon dog. Well, I feel like for those boys, it's like, if part of the suspension of disbelief, it's it's almost like a little bit of poetic license that they kind of like, 
either don't realize that things are different or they do realize it and they realize they're in kind of like a different plane of existence or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's kind of convenient because like if they were questioning it more then we as the audience would be led on that they're like, you know, strangers from a strange land. Um, <laughs> also, I will interject here that if you are a super fan of this show and you want to know more about the Woodsman, uh, his backstory and a lot of backstories of the like non-Greg and Work characters on the show get expanded a lot in the comic. And it's so wonderful to see that happen. That is excellent. Uh, there's the establishing of the lantern and the oil that he harvests in a way that you don't quite get at the beginning. And it's given almost as a like very thin character definition. Like, hi, I'm the woodsman and this is my lot in life. And Upon rewatching again, you see that this means so much more to him than just this is my job. I do the wood uh, oil thing and keep this lantern lit. This is his daughter that we get to like see him agonize over this entire episode. And I think it works. I think it works on so many different levels. As you watch it for the first time, you think, oh, this this character is cool and he's like well performed. But, you know, he's just sad about his mill being destroyed later. But for us, we think, oh, God, this is like he's about to lose his daughter. It kind of mirrors a lot of the other characters on the show who aren't Orton Greg, every other character on this show, well, except for them and Beatrice, are all obsessed with their jobs. Like, they really define themselves based upon their jobs. And this is, like, you know, really expanded upon once we get to the episode where they're in the, like, inn or the, you know, the bar, the inn, whatever. <laughs> all of the characters in this show are, like, really obsessive about their jobs. And I've definitely seen fan theories out there where people are kind of like, oh, people are, like, really into their jobs because it kind of protects them from the beast to have a purpose in life, which I think definitely um, it speaks to what I, my usual interpretation of the beast, which is that, like, the beast is, like, depression. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little more nuanced than that, but, like, in broad terms. Um, and so it's interesting to see the nuance that happens with the woodsman in that, like, his job is to service that darkness. It's like the Babadook when they like are feeding worms to the thing in the basement. Exactly. And we get to see that play out as like, it's not quite, you know, a purpose, but for Greg and his frog, you see his love, his pure unbridled wholesome meme love for this frog as almost his purpose at this point that keeps him uh, away from the beast later on. And I love that uh, rewatching this, you get to learn that, uh, that frog means so much more to him than just, oh, this is a cute frog and I want to give him a silly name, but I don't know what the names are and I'm reveling in how silly these names are because you realize that this is something that he wanted to do with Wirt to uh, find a frog and go on a little frog hunt. And it, it means so much to look back and think, oh, wait, this frog means more than just a frog. This frog is, uh, in a way, his love for his brother and how he wants him to be a part of his life. And that is, and in this, uh, in this case, what keeps Greg uh, safe from the beast, or what we think is the beast, uh, later on when he's able to face the demon dog very, very bravely. Right, for sure. So, where are we in the episode right now? We've kind of rambled a little bit. We're, yeah, we're a little bit rambly, but uh, we let's see. We meet the woodsman. We meet the woodsman. They're at the house, and so then... the thing about the house that I think is like a pretty common like Easter egg is that it's Beatrice's house. Um, 
And there are, so you can tell, if you don't know this, you can tell later on uh, what everyone's like, well, again, and it's like the epilogue of the show. Um, they show her family in that mill house. Wait, seriously? <gasps> oh my God, yeah. that's awesome. How- well, you didn't know that? No, I don't think so. That's incredible. Well, then you're really going to love this. Mm-hmm. When the woodsman is telling them stuff and work goes to Greg and he's like, maybe we should knock the woodsman out. Um, Greg starts picking stuff up and swinging it. And so even after Wirt says, bad idea, we're not doing that, uh, Greg is practicing. And what he picks <laughs> up in that house is a statue of a branch with a bunch of bluebirds on it. Oh, my God. I, I did notice that, but I didn't make the connection between that and Beatrice. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, no, that's Beatrice's family's house. And also it's her dog, which you can tell, like, in the vignette in the beginning, Beatrice is sitting down by the river with her dog next to her. Um, the dog that they mistakenly think is the beast when he eats the turtle. And there's also a rock. And you see her kind of like looking back at a bluebird angrily. Oh my god. Wow. I had no idea. That's so cool. Like she's about to throw a rock at it. I love that so, so much. The thing I had in my notes about the bluebird statue is that you see uh, Greg swinging things, practicing for the plan that Wirt said was a bad idea. And I love that even though he winds up... um knocking his hat off later with like a random plank the thing that the woodsman trips on and winds up hitting his head on are the two things that uh greg had displaced in order to practice so even though he didn't actually do it it was still like his fault for putting the things there right i thought that was a nice little touch like a nice little rube goldberg of pain for sure and also so i want to talk about the miyazaki elements in this episode as well yes Uh, when the dog eats the turtle and Greg looks up and he goes, you have beautiful eyes. This is not the only moment that this happens. Because one of my favorite things that people say about Over the Garden Wall is that it's kind of like Miyazaki for Americans and Americana. Um, I mean, Miyazaki is also for Americans. It's for everyone. But like, <laughs> particularly with Americana elements, the dog comes in, his eyes are all bulgy. And like, it's just such a cool, like, I think classic Miyazaki sort of monster. And it's terrifying. You also get to see, I didn't notice this until now, uh, the dog is reflected in Greg's eyes, which I never noticed because I was so terrified of the dog in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. I, I think in terms of tone setting for, this is episode one of a miniseries that is going to set the tone for the rest of the show. It, it, they pick up the scares really, really fast, like really intensely. Well, yeah, and especially like, you know, it's a kid's show. I remember the first time I watched this, I was like, whoa, that's really scary. Yeah. It's it's mind-bogglingly scary, um, especially continuing on to, like, the little fight scene where they try to get the dog uh, and, like, try to protect themselves. There's this music playing that is not very scary. I have in my notes it's old-timey scary almost. The things where you tend to hear it genuinely in, like, media that originated why it's scary is scary to us now because it feels so distant right if that makes sense i have it compared to nosferatu in my notes where like when you watch nosferatu and you get this like creepy 16 millimeter film that's like grainy and black and white and the slow moving horrific vampire thing and that is scary in a slow genuine cultural way not quite you know a jump scare but the music that's very like ghostly feels like it's harkening back to that kind of super classical scary. It also reminds me a lot of Luigi's Mansion. <laughs> For sure, yeah. 
but that scene is incredible in terms of the stakes are not low. Like, you're realizing then that there's going to be creepy monsters and there's going to be weird things happening. And these kids are going to have to fight. Even though I absolutely love the moment where Wirt is uh, cowering behind a uh, the fireplace grate. And then Greg is the one that goes, spank, spank, spank. Again, it's still so wholesome while still being scary. Yeah, and it, it, it adds a little bit of comic relief because, like, I remember as an audience member, like, watching that. I was like, no, Greg, no. I was, like, really worried for him. He's a cartoon. <laughs> He's a cartoon, but he's a little kid voiced by a real little kid. It's so perfect. Right. And also, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't think there's anything sp- spectacular that happens in the fight scene, except that, like, Greg really holds his own and stays cool while Word is freaking out. Um, but one thing I really love and a detail I always think is, like, it's it's kind of expected, but I like it, is that, like, there's this one piece of candy on Word's cape. And that is the last piece of candy that they, like, put over the edge to, like, make the beast, like, or not, not the real beast, the dog beast, uh, get caught in the mill. And then it kind of, like, kind of graphically, like, it's squeezed out of that dog who is somehow not injured when Greg, like, comes with him out of the river and he goes, he's not the beast anymore. He's new. He's my new best friend. I have that in my notes, too. One of my favorite Greg moments in the entire episode <laughs> is, uh, now he's my new best friend. Wait, where are you going? Oh, ain't that just the way? Like a whole range of emotions in about nine seconds. <laughs> it's so great. I was definitely going to say that this podcast, instead of being called Rock Facts, should be called Ain't That Just the Podcast. But <laughs> I thought that was a little too obscure. A little bit too obscure, but it's still one of the best lines that establishes Greg's like, oh, old wisdom, even though I'm probably only, what, eight or nine? How old is Greg supposed to be? I, I think he's supposed to be around that age. And like, basically... You know, I already have one over the garden wall tattoo. I have a tattoo of the scissors on the side of my leg um, that we see in a later episode. And I still know that it is not the last over the garden wall tattoo I'm going to get because I want to get a tattoo that says, ain't that just the way? (laughs) That's so, so incredible. That's a really great idea for a tattoo. Because of course, like just being the kind of person I am, and I think that most people really appreciate this, is like when you have sort of children's media and then you get like a moment like that where it's something so real and you're like, oh, God. Like, that's usually my reaction and the reaction of my friends when they watch it. They're just like, oh, no. One other small detail uh, about the mill breaking in half as the dog goes through the little spinner. Is that really how a mill would break in half, like Jumanji style, where that thing just completely splits in half? That made no sense to me. It's the unknown. We don't know. Okay, okay. Physics don't apply in the unknown. There's also a really great moment where the woodsman comes back out and it sets the tone for uh, the rest of the show when he goes, no, you are, I can't do the voice, you are responsible for your brother's actions. You are the elder child and you must uh, take responsibility and protect him. And it's a really nice, subtle way to... Uh, establish the fact that that's going to be their arc as they go is their relationship with each other and the fact that Wirt wants to give up a lot, lot earlier than Greg does. And there's this really sweet moment where, oh, okay, yeah, no, we're brothers. Let's continue. And it's, it's, it works perfectly in terms of uh, structuring the show to set up this uh, conflict in the very first episode. Right. And just rewinding a little bit, uh, also, one of my favorite things that happens in this episode is that the mill is totally destroyed and Wirt goes, maybe I can fix it. I can't fix it. <laughs> just wanted to mention that. 
we we get to establish Greg, or, I'm sorry, Wirtz as a character that has such high expectations for himself and yet doesn't know how to handle any of them. He's not only a teen going through teen emotions as evidenced by his poetic outbursts as he lies down and uh, extemporizes, but then he's like, oh, I can definitely fix this. I can't fix this. Like, he doesn't know how to handle the things that he's going through. That's how I felt every breakup I've ever had. <laughs> Uh, well, so the episode ends on, uh, beware the unknown, fear the beast, and get out of these woods, if you can. And we don't really know what to expect if you're watching this for the very first time, but that gives a nice overview of what the stakes are. We see a creepy dog that's very possible to, uh, to hurt these two children, uh, and there's gonna be other things, for sure, that are gonna be difficult to deal with here in the unknown. Well, that's the other thing is that that line, I feel like the first time you watch it, and I say that having introduced it to so many of my friends, that line doesn't land so well. Mm -mm. At least I don't think. It doesn't land in a way that you really think that it's very serious, especially because Christopher Lloyd is like, you know, he's kind of silly as the woodsman. When you really think about it, like because of that like warbling, like serious voice, there's something also sort of silly about it. I still really like it the way it is because I love the payoff later when it becomes apparent that the beast is, like, a real problem. It's not just, like, a fairy tale villain. He's a real monster that has real-life implications. And I also think that, like, since everyone kind of has their own interpretation of what they think the beast is, I definitely, I I think there's, like, uh, merit in not over-explaining the world because I feel like that happens a lot when we do shows like this. Still, everyone can kind of, like, see a little bit of the beast. He's not just a monster in a story. He's an allegory for something. Um, And so I really think it makes that hit harder later. But there's something about Over the Garden Wall, and maybe it just gets away with it because it's so short, so that, like, you can really get through it quickly, and so the payoff isn't that far away. But I don't feel like the first episode of this show is actually that satisfying in that way. It's really cute and it definitely like set up the series really well. But those things that like could have hit if it had been like, you know, 14 episodes, 30 minutes each um, would have been harder, I think. I agree. And the fact that they aired this two episodes at a time on Cartoon Network means that if you just kept watching, you would go on to the next episode and have uh, what I would argue is a more satisfying ending to a story. And you're right, you gotta have to start somewhere. And if if they have to start in a place that's not going to be quite as satisfying an ending, I feel like this is still the best place for it to establish the things that they establish in this episode. For sure. I I can't wait to talk about the next episode because I feel like that's the one where I got hooked. Mm -hmm. The first episode I was like, I really like the theme of this and I really like the music and I really like the characters. Um, Or at least I liked Greg. Um, (laughs) I think the second episode is what made me be like, okay, this is important to me. Yep, yep, same. Uh, One last note uh, to close out the episode. Uh, Another moment of juxtaposition between absolutely gorgeous art and music and the silliness of Greg and Wirt. Uh, it ends on, uh, oh, I'll call you Candy Pants. No, your name is Wirt. Yes, your name is Wirt too. Like, it's so incredibly silly, and yet that last shot of them in the woods as the sun is setting, and there it's entirely silhouetted, and there's this beautiful light shining through the trees. It, it, it works so perfectly, uh, juxtaposing the silliness and the beauty of everything. And it almost elevates the silliness to a point. I mean, maybe this is after watching it 10 or 15 times like we have, but it elevates that silliness to art. Right, for sure. 
I don't know. I, I, I love this episode, and even though it's not quite as satisfying plot-wise, I think it does a really great job of establishing the two brother characters as people that really care about each other, yet still have a long way to go to be, you know, healthy, or at the very least, you know, on the same wavelength in terms of their attitude about their situation. I just think it's a really interesting look, because I feel like now, clearly I am the expert on TV of this relationship. Uh, that's not true. Um, but I feel like now there's so much emphasis on the per- on the first episode. Like, the first episode of a thing has to really hit or else people don't want to watch the rest of the series. Um, whereas, like, I think this show, I think it's so interesting how this show kind of gets away with an episode that is a good episode, but not the best episode. And definitely, like, doesn't hit necessarily as hard as it does on the second watch. Exactly. And that's why I guess they have two episodes a night when they first aired this. And now we can always just watch everything all the way through. But I'm really excited to talk to you about the next episode on uh, our next episode of this podcast. That's going to be really, really fun. And we'll also have more Dwayne the Rock Johnson facts. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. On uh, here on Rock Facts on the Incomparable Network. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Our plan is to release uh, every Friday and Tuesday through October and end on Halloween with episode 10, which is going to be really, really fun. I'm excited. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. 